0: what's up party people it's talib kwali we are back with the people's party thank you for rocking with us thank you for showing us your love and your support of course and as always i have my lovely and talented and thoughtful co-host jasmine lee give it up for jasmine lee in the place to be what's up jasmine
1: i can't clap for myself you, today
0: <laughs> you got something new going on with your hair i like yes,
1: it i did i this probably why my hands are freaking broken i did some braids
0: you did quarantine. that
1: yourself? Yeah, man. It's quarantine. I'm not okay. about to have nobody in here.
0: Okay. Word up. Good job. Good job. Thank you. All right. So today, I want to get right into it because um, I don't want to spend too much time on the intro because this man really needs no introduction. But it was very challenging for me to come up with the questions for this next guest because there's just too many questions. Um, but this this dude is one of the most prolific writers of the black American story, period. He's a poet, an author, a hip hop star, an actor. There's a lot of famous people who, who try to do it all, but whatever this man puts his mind to, he does so damn well. From when he first started his first album, Can I Borrow A Dollar, to Resurrection, to One Day It All Makes Sense. To the golden era of working with the soul quarians like like water for chocolate electric circus then he got on a good music wave with b finding forever the Dreamer, the believer putting out Nobody smiling black american again black america again let love there's so many classics and he stays relevant he won an oscar and a gold and a golden globe for his song glory and i haven't even mentioned the acting work he was an American gangster with Denzel Washington. Street Kings, Just Right, Selma, Suicide Squad. He was gangster in Suicide Squad. he had been in a Terminator movie. A uh, man, this motherfucker was in a Terminator movie, bro. And recently, he's taken over the role. Uh, <laughs> recently, he's taken over the role of Wesley in the home movie of Princess Bride. This man is prolific. This man got bars. This man is one of my best friends. In the music business and i'm very very honored to have this man as a friend and be able to call him my friend give it up for common from the city of chicago
1: yeah
2: and he's a rapper yeah fam you yo quad thank you thank you jazz quiet you know i love you brother that was um, man i just moved my spirit man hearing you say that you know because <laughs> i got so much respect and love for you you inspire me man so anyway uh thank you man jazz you know how fam you do. You know what we do.
1: What's that?
0: <laughs>
1: let's I'm
2: go. Ready. Let's go. I just thought I'd be able to get to the, being able to do that. I wasn't, I wasn't that good at that. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Is
0: that go. like fam you gangs? It's the
1: Rattlers. is striking the, and striking and striking again.
0: Rattling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, Rashid, uh, common <laughs> Rashid, Lonnie, Lonnie, Rashid Len. You have a bunch of other names that I don't really know, know about. I know Lonnie and Rashid. Um... I want to thank you for jumping on respiration on the Black Star album. This is the track. It was a single from Black Star. It really got things moving. And um, you know, I've told you a little bit about the story about how I got you on respiration, but I, for the, for the people's party audience, um Common was my favorite rapper at the time. And I essentially chased him around the country trying to get him on <laughs> respiration. I saw him. He was about to perform at, at Wetlands in New York City. And his manager, Derek Dudley, did not let me on a tour bus. And that's how I met my manager at the time, Corey Smith, because Corey Smith let me on a tour bus. But that first time I got to you, I, I had the track with me. But you didn't agree to get on the track because I didn't know you. And so I went to right. uh, you had a show at the Belly Up in San Diego later on that year. And I went to the show, and I snuck backstage. I oh snuck God. past Derek Dudley because he was trying to stop me from getting backstage again. Um, and um, I D got Dudley. with you. You like, yeah, shout out to Derek Dudley. He was on his job, bro. He was on his job. That's a good manager. Um, I I got with you, and um, this time it was like a more a recognition. He was like, oh, you you Most death man, right? Okay, you wanted me to do that song, and then Most Def had a show in Chicago where he was opening for you. And so I took an Amtrak train to Chicago so I could jump on stage with Most Deaf because I knew you would be there. And we were all in a dressing room after the show. And I said, Do you wanna go in the studio and record the song tonight? And you said yes. But I had booked Streeterville Studios in Chicago just in case you wanted to do that. Wow. So we went to Streeterville, me, Hot Tech, Most Deaf, and you. And the beat that I had picked for the song, You and Most Deaf, was like, We don't wanna rap on that beat. I was like, Nah, fuck this. I worked too hard. To get this song, y'all go rap on this beat. And that y'all yeah. didn't rap on that beat. Y'all chose another beat, which became respiration. But that's how that song got done. So I thank you for jumping on that song, bro. Wow.
2: No, oh, man. Thank you. Yo, man, the more I hear the story over and over again, it's like, damn, that just is the to me, it just shows the determination of, of like you putting your mind towards something and just being unstoppable and, and like mm-hmm. persistent and committed to it. And look what it created. Like, I mean, that was a blessing for me to be on that song. Like that song to this day is one of the greatest songs, collaborations I ever been on. And being associated with you and most deaf, like being on a Black Star song was like a it's a medal for me, you know, like meaning mm. it was um, you know, it was a notch in 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 my career. And it has been and continues to be. And I it's one of those songs that like, man, people Every every place I go, some some at some point in time, they like, why don't you do? You gonna do respiration? I'm like, I'm, I'm just <laughs> grateful that y'all. I'm grateful you was in pursuit that much, Qua. Like, and I, so so I loved I loved that man. And I remember we had my man Deshaun play guitar. We had a little guitar That's to right. it. It was it's a vibe. It's a vibe. That song just yeah. got a vibe to it. So thank you, man. Yes,
0: man. Thank you. Sound now like when a we did TV the video. Episode. that whole that whole story right yeah (laughs) Um, when we did the video for Respiration it was the coldest day of the year that year and um, you wore this big lush green fur coat with green fur coat with fur hat combination and people didn't know it was green because the video was in black and white but tell me why you picked that outfit for that day and how your personal style um, has has evolved in your career
2: well I picked that like I was really I when I when we did respiration that's when I first moved from New, from Chicago to New York. I moved to Brooklyn. You know I And you was Brooklyn, living in Brooklyn, clock.
0: hanging out with us at the book, at the bookstore yep. and the Brooklyn Moon Cafe and all that.
2: At the bookstore. Yes, all that. So I kind of met I I met up with different artists at, at that point. Like I'm talking about people who, you know, fashion designers, who was like just black people who were doing dope stuff, dope artists like Ashaka Givens. Shout was, out to Ashaka Givens ma- and, and Lorraine yeah. West. And Lorraine West. Was, like, they was part of the whole like family art artist collective. And basically, mm. they were making stuff. Um, and, and, and I was like, man, I'm doing this video. And she was like, I got the right thing. Like, so she, she made me this coat. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not like a pimpish dude. I'm not like, I don't dress pimp style, but for some reason it felt like forward. But it still had a little bit of throw of some Chicago soul to it, so I I rocked that coat. I was geeked about it, man, and uh, you know that was when I was in the evolution. (laughs) I was in the evolution of um, you know like evolving my style, cause I, I ain't gonna front like I I change a lot. Like I you know I just you know I go with where I am in the moment and what I feel and what I'm inspired by. And at that point, for me, being in New York was like a next step to. Another type of freedom and artistic expression because you know, mm-hmm. New York has so many different artists and people and cultures, and you really are allowed to be yourself there, you know. So, I think that was that was part of me just breaking out and being like, Yo, I'm on some new stuff.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about teachers for a second. Your mother, Mahalia Ann Hines, is a teacher, mm-hmm. uh, she's worked with uh my mother Brenda Green and rest in peace to Don De West Kanye West mother um clef yes, talked rest to us in about peace. yeah yeah definitely to Don De West. West clef talked about how the connection that preachers children have with each other but let's talk about the connection that the children of teachers have um how do you think yeah. that shared background of having teachers as as parents connected you me and Kanye and other artists to each other
2: well as you remember Kwai when we did um we did a panel with our mothers at Chicago State, it was mm-hmm. Dr. Donda West, your mom, um, mm-hmm. and my mother, and me, you, and Kanye. Um, and mm-hmm. one thing I noticed at that at that panel was like, wow, we really were blessed to have teachers as mothers because they really gave us the the desire for education and, and mm-hmm. books and and like intelligence was valued. Like I, I, I honestly. My mother wouldn't. I wouldn't have privileges if I didn't do good in school. If I didn't read mm. these things, and she would make me do extra book reports, and Tough and city. little did I know that that was, <laughs> yeah. Your, your mom was like that. Yes. Jen? So it was, but I but I des- developed a love for reading and a love for words that she didn't know that I and I didn't know that it would turn out to be something that I would utilize as as part of my expression and, and it's my profession now. And when I look at you, yeah. When I look at Yay. It's something about the academics that that the shapes for a better MC to me, like a better mm. artist all around. Because you know, I mean, let's face it, intelligence is valued. It's, it's like golden, and and like yeah. learning things is important. And the fact that you know, you know how um, much depth you have, Quad, with and just how you know, in the books you are. And I think mm-hmm. when I listen to you rhyme, it it, it pays off. I feel like I'm learning being entertained being inspired like you know that was the thing i loved about hip-hop from the beginning for me was it was i was always always felt like i was getting new information um in certain ways mm-hmm. and it wasn't like it was like being um it wasn't being forced upon it's the it's art form it's music but yeah. when i look back and, and hear things that krs1 said um it it opened my thinking up um rakim and the mm-hmm. brand new and you know all those cats like Ice Cube too, all of them. So um, mm. yeah, man, I think being being sons of teachers is one of the greatest blessings we've had. I mean, what do you think, Quad? Do you feel like do, do you ever notice a difference between the the MCs that feel like they come from academic backgrounds?
0: Um, yeah, I think it's it's very integral to my process. Um, I think I've rapped more about books than any rapper, and I think it's it's because of my parents, but also working at the bookstore. <laughs> Um, I think yeah. that you know when people talk about we had Reggie Hudlin on and he talks about how hip hop mm-hmm. is always talked about being irresponsible lyrically uh, misogynistic uh, decadent capitalistic but people don't give hip hop enough credit for uh, being the vanguard when it comes to um, being responsible on lyrics like for every negative mm-hmm. lyric you can find from hip hop I can find three positive ones mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. I talk about Often just a privilege. You said you you said that you wouldn't get privileges if you didn't do certain things. We are very privileged to have educators as parents. We have academic privilege. That whole yeah. kerfuffle between yeah. no name and J. Cole was based around an argument about academic elitism. The the critique J. Cole, I think, was yeah. making. And we you and me spoke privately about this, and we appreciate pardon me we appreciate both no name and j cole but the the argument he was attempting to make whether or not he made it to to the satisfaction of everybody listening the the argument he attempted to make right. was you can't be an elitist as an academic and that i felt that in my soul um because i understand that i had the privilege mm-hmm. of having a mother that cared enough to make sure i had books and take me to a museum uh, Artists like 50 cent He's a fantastic artist. I think Fifty Cent is a genius, but his parents were drug dealers, and so that reflects in his music. His music is violent, is angry. His music is not necessarily positive, as good as as it is. His music reflects the pain and the struggle. Our music also reflects the pain and the struggle, but it it comes from a more academic lens, and um, and I'm 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 highly appreciative of it.
2: Yeah, no, nah, and I think you know what was was dope about what you just described too. It, it just really shows the 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 how diverse and and the depth that we have too as because you could take a kid like like Nas I was mm-hmm. talking to Nas and Nas was like Nas dropped out of school at one point like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't right. think out of high school at some point regardless he said it was his mother had these books at the house like the Book of the Tibetan Dead and and different stuff mm-hmm. that he he said he was reading before he was a teenager and I mm-hmm. I always wonder like when I listen to him. um I was like, man, this dude's thinking is on a different level, and I always feel like, you know, like it shows that, like, w- what you said is, you might, you could come from the hood, and and depending on what wh- what you've been, what information has been shared, and what you've come across, then you mm-hmm. will be coming from an elevated perspective too, and I think it just shows the depth of of who we are as as um as black men and women, and also another thing that you was talking about that I that um I think. It's dope that like for me, like I when I read, I feel like I get better, better as an MC. And I actually, you know, it's times where I was stuck and, you know, I I can remember in the mid-90s where I was just searching, you know, for what I wanted to say and like had to think of things that I wanted to talk about. And man, reading these Buddhist books and reading the Quran and reading and reading um you know, message to the black man. You know, of yeah. Elijah Muhammad, and and then the destruction of black civilization. All these things was all right, like, Chancellor okay, Williams. All right. yes. I was, I was. Um, it really allowed me to know what I could do with words too. I would go to this book called Black Black Poets. You ever seen that book, Black Poets, with by Dudley Randall? It's got Absolutely. all these, all these different poets. Literally, qua just, I would just open up the the book. And as soon as I would see something, I would just go, "Oh, I could go right," because right. Mm-hmm. it just made me know um, the power of words and and like what we can do with words. And I think, well, you've been showing that as an MC, and I think like people like Nas that even you know came from the Jets and still mm-hmm. came and elevated things has done that.
0: You're giving out the secrets now, brother. You're telling, that's a word right there. I always, I have a lyric about this. Um, I don't remember my actual lyric, but the premise of the lyric was, if I walk in your house and you ain't got no books on the shelf, I can't trust you.
2: I like that. <laughs> and I think, you know, um, what the one of your earlier points too is that I think is important that I was trying to think of what I was like cause I, when you were saying it, was that, yo, when you get certain information, like we were privileged to have mm. parents who were, able to do that, share that information and inspire yeah. us to learn. Um, one thing that, that helped me out was my mother would bring home kids who were like, she taught, and they was, she would let them stay for the weekend or whatever. And they were from the hood. They were from mm. even more hood than where we was from. Like, mm. you know, and it was like, I seen that these kids didn't have the parents I had. So mm-hmm. it made me value what my mother was and, right. and who my mother was and my stepfather. And then, and then I was like, Oh man, I gotta be able to share this information with others or try to get them access to this too. So that's been always like, man, like when I write, I think about like some of the people that I can inspire that don't, that don't have access. Yes. I almost feel like now my I want my career and 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 all the work I do to create more access for people who don't have. That's really what it is. And that's beautiful.
1: I was just speaking on that because I was like, that's the importance of why I feel people like you that have parents, and like me, like Talib, that have parents that teach them at home should be going to public schools because you never know who else you're going to touch and who you're going to teach somebody, teach something to. Because like you guys, my mom was an English major, so she made us write essays. If we got into a fight, we had to write an essay about why we shouldn't fight our sisters. So like when we were in school, like, our writing skills were amazing, and it's a lot of kids that you know were encouraged by that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, we shot. We talked about your mother being a teacher. I want to send a big rest in peace to Lonnie Pops Lynn, your father. Um yes, your yes. father was so gracious. He was living in Denver, and he would come to all my shows in Denver just because I was your homie. Oh, and he would be man. backstage and making sure we was good. He was like, if you ever need anything in Denver. People know your father because you put him on your albums. He had these soulful spoken word pieces on your album. Pops rap from Re- uh, Resurrection stood out um, to me. Your father said on the album he wanted to set up a boxing match against him and Jesse Jackson. They want to kick Jesse Jackson's ass. Now, for people who are not black people from Chicago, can you break down why your pops would want to kick Jesse Jackson's ass?
2: <laughs> Yo, first of all, let me say this. When I got that message, dude, I like cause that was the days <laughs> when you people was leaving messages on your phone. So right. I got that message, man. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I was like, man, my dad is crazy, man. But my he dad said that was,
0: he said, he said, Pop's crazy. I know I know Pop's crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said,
2: so my dad was, as you know, Pops was like he had something crazy about him, but it was something very wise about him. Like he mm. was so wise, like he he was a Gemini. He just had these all these different sides to oh. him to a certain degree, you uh, know. And um, but he he really always was pro black. Um, you know, he named me Rashid because he he said he wanted to mix a Mu- a Muslim name with a Christian name because my first name is Lonnie, like his, which mm. he considered a Christian name, and he. Because he was studying Islam too, he wanted to name me Rashid, So he always mm. had all he had things behind what he was saying. But then some stuff he'd be like, you would be like, "Pops, where you coming from with that shit?" That's <laughs> <it."> <laughs> so I asked him like, "What is what? What he meant?" He just was like, "Man, he was sick of Jesse Jackson at that time, like just parading around like he was. He just thought that thought Jesse Jackson was one of them dudes that was just like doing it in the, for the show of it, and was like." Mm. He knew he was doing real work, but he mm-hmm. also was like, he wanted to be seen doing it. And I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe he just had one of those spats. I don't know if he had been drinking that day or whatever, but he
1: just,
2: <laughs> he snapped out. By the way, Quat, you said something earlier. I got to clarify too that, okay. man, the freaking, on, my, on Wikipedia, it got all these names that ain't my fucking name. <laughs> it's, it. like it's like Ted. Like,
0: it had I all don't, these names. I said, I didn't know Raj had so I many
2: names. <laughs> yo, yo, Quat, yo, Jazz, Quat, I don't have you said it exactly Lani <laughs> Rashid Lynn is my name somebody can go on my Wikipedia and just keep fucking change. I, I try to change it back every time and it's like That's they keep putting all these no, names the funny
0: about you saying that is that Wikipedia has all these names and then it starts talking about you and it says Karant was born and <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was like who, who the hell is that because sometimes people will say yo all these they'll become I'll be like yo that is not my <laughs> that's hilarious. But that's, you know anyway, yeah. But Pops was God bless his soul, man. My, yes. my Pops, man, that like, man, it's, he's a man, I miss him. As soon as you start talking about it, he loved, he loved you, he loved most, he loved mm. like the roots. He loved my fam, man. And, mm. and but he really appreciated you as an artist too. Like he got, mm. he had his own appreciation too. It was like, right. these your brothers and sisters, we I love them, but then it was also like Man, these they cold like these dudes <laughs> were mine. Like, like and right. he knew what it was. So, mm. so it was dope, man. I like, he at one point he wanted to do his own EP, and I was really trying to set it up for him. But he eventually, you know, um, with cancer, he he was fighting and battling. He yeah. actually went down to see Doctor Sabie um, and was like mm. having a good time with Doctor Sabie. They was he was wow. healing, smoking weed, smoking weed with Sabie, kicking okay. it like, okay, wow. yeah. But uh, but it was um, you know, it ended up. The, the, the disease ended up, you know, basically he transitioned and and um man, it's crazy because where we are quite as you know, um in where we are right now is where my mother and father met actually in Zenia, Ohio. So Central State. Yeah, Central State. Central yeah. State and Wilberforce. My, my my mother went to Central State, my father went to Wilberforce. That's so it's, it's uh, being around here kinda It was it was it was moving. I text my mother like, "Yo, mom, I'm out here like where y'all met." You know. Yeah, man. Uh, Dave Chappelle,
0: we out here hanging out with Dave, and he said, Common, I'm gonna take you to where your parents met." And we drove through these cornfields and pulled up at four in the morning. I was cold as shit in the back it of a pickup cold. truck.
2: It was cold. I was like, man, it's cold out here, man. It's, it's all good and shit, but it's cold out here. I had to go. It, it was cold.
0: I, I, I wasn't going to miss that opportunity to be in the back of a pickup truck with you and Dave Chappelle. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I was cold. I was tired. I was drunk. I was, You know what I'm saying? But I was like, nah, I'm not missing yeah. this opportunity. Um,
2: yeah. it It is something, though, Qua, that we have these moments, like, as close of friends as we are and. We, we brothers we mm-hmm. we love each other yeah. but it's still i do value like yo it's me choir it, dave right tiffany um right. M- michelle muhammad art like That's these right. are moments man i'm starting to appreciate moments more in life like and just really be present and be like man i'm mm-hmm. gonna take this in yeah. like i'm gonna enjoy yeah. this moment i ain't you know and i appreciated that Come on, man! Who would have thought we'd be riding in the back of a pickup truck going to look at Dave's farms at four in the morning That's in right. Yellow Springs, Ohio? <laughs> right. You
1: know. uh, speaking of enjoying moments of the, some of the my most favorite moments were at FAMU. We went to the same school, and wearing my orange yes. for us today. Um, yes. <laughs> and you y'all have got, op- I, I
0: don't like y'all talking to code like this, man. I
1: just said I guys, I'm wearing we, orange. Hey,
0: <laughs> Y'all got hey, y'all got, got gang something. colors, we, gang signs. Yeah. And
1: I got my green toes hey. too. I'm not I can't put my foot up right now, but if I could, I would have showed you my toenails. But uh I
0: love this
1: you know, <laughs> rattle it out. Uh you also have an honorary doctorate in the arts from FAMU. Um what do you think it is about HBCUs that makes it such a vital part of black excellence and is so instrumental in the story of black excellence in America?
2: Well, that was for me, it was one of the greatest gifts in my life to go to Florida and yes. university to go to a black college um obviously, for me growing up, um my mother went to a black college uh, you know, the Cosby show had you know they had different world hip hop castles when black college I went on a black college tour. I was like, this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. but what was so significant for me was actually you know growing up in Chicago. I had one type of, I knew one type of blackness pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. like what we had in Chicago, but to go to Florida and m and be in Tallahassee, Florida and experiencing people from all over the country who were aspiring in excellence and were like teaching me about myself, um, the professors that really took time, like I remember I had a um, psychology professor who was just taking a little extra time to, to show me who I was as a black man mm-hmm. and to and to help set the standard and and to keep those values, I think those are the invaluable things that we that you can't get it at you know um, a, a school that is in the HBCU. And I'm so grateful that my daughter ended up going to Howard, oh, um, and like her friends went to you know her friends, one of her best friends went to Hampton. I, and I just saw a young NBA a young NBA, um, a young NBA yep. prospect, um, mm-hmm. high schooler, one of the top players in the nation, deciding to go to Howard. It's a powerful thing. Like I think, man, if if you're a young person, I was talking to some of my the kids from my foundation. They were they were actually some of the alum was talking to the younger one, younger ones, saying how great the experience is going to a black college, and, and just having that support.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: because it, it is tough for a lot of students mm-hmm. that end up going to you know predominantly white universities, trying to establish this black. Organization or black clubs, so they can feel embraced um, on a, such a big campus. But I'm a, you know, I'm a advocate for HBCUs all day.
0: Uh, Dead prez met at FAMU and Phil Agnew, who started the Dream Defenders. He started at FAMU, so there's a lot of, lot of yeah. energy there.
2: Yes, sir. Yo, yeah, De- um, stick. I used to see stick rhyming. Cause he, I think he actually is from Tallahassee too. Yeah. Stick would be rhyming in talent shows, and I, he, you know he's a couple years younger than me. But I was like, this dude is dope. He was, I think he was still in high school. He man, he was rhyming then. So yeah, you're right. The HBCU's produced. Um, Will Packer went to film. Yeah. And, yep. uh, yeah. And, and y'all know Howard produced a lot of greats.
0: Yeah. Um, you name an album, nobody smiling because of how the violence in Chicago can sort of snatch the happiness out of the communities. On respiration, you predict the effects of gentrification when you're talking about tearing down the jex Create and plush homes. The first time I ever heard the term wild hundreds was on a common record. How do you feel like the violence in Chicago is being weaponized in political conversations?
2: Well, I mean, it's crazy you say that. I was just I hadn't turned on the TV since we've been here and mm. the TV was on when I was walking past and uh they were talking about some of the violence that just happened in Chicago. And they would talk about it in an exploitive way where, you know, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. these politicians and uh, the, um, I don't even want to say his name, but you know, like the, the leader of this country, they, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll just like exploit that for, for political purposes and reasons mm-hmm. why they should, Oh, this is why we should have the national guard here. Or this is what I'm going to, it's no real care or no real, um, Understanding or no real true wanting to see that our city heal, wanting to see our mm-hmm. city be better. um So I feel that they just do it obviously for their own political gain, whichever way they can, whatever way it benefits them. um And you know, like I mean, we've seen how this president just uses anybody or anything to advance himself, which mm-hmm. is you know the opposite of what we want in a leader because leaders are not the ones that, you know, a leader can't be always thinking of themselves. And, um, you know, a leader got to think of the people that they serve and Mm -hmm. and the people that they should be leading. So anyway, Mm -hmm. these politicians, you know, and I don't want to say all politicians because, you know, Kim, Kim Fox is a state's attorney in, in, in Chicago. And, and and she is incredible. She's from Mm -hmm. Cabrini green state's attorney. And, um, and um, she's just incredible. So I, I know it's some people out there, but you know the people that we know, that we see, like you know, like the the president, the president of the United States, and people like mm-hmm. that. They are not for us. We know that. And we, and we, you know, we kind of. I look at it like this, y'all. I look at it like we can't we can't depend on them. And I'm saying we as black and brown communities in Chicago, mm-hmm. we can't depend on them to to take care of us and heal us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's gonna be something we have to do um, holistically too, like on a whole level. And I and I do want to say, man, I'm 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 sad that my city is is you know it's it's children being shot and killed. Right. You know, it's people innocent people. I don't want to see any human being lose their life. So you know, it's something we got to work on. But these politicians, you know, it's it's game for them. It's just exploitation.
0: Right. Now let's go back to the music for a second. Um, you talked to us a little bit about how you were reading books and like, opening your mind, and I feel like the, you had this creative growth because of the book reading from the time you came out with Can I Borrow a Dollar to the Resurrection album. I mean, I feel like as an artist, you grew in public by leaps and bounds. And there's this record on Resurrection, I used to love her. In my opinion, and I think my opinion is valuable on this subject, it's almost the perfect hip-hop song. Used extended metaphor hip hop as a woman. Um, This is a genius, genius technique. Um, Later on, The Roots did the song. Act 2, Love of My Life, which that's the song that made Black Thought. Like, I was like, oh my goodness. The verse that Black Thought did on that song, and your verse, but it was like building on your song. Then the movie Brown Sugar comes out, and Brown Sugar is about, you know, Dream Hampton's life, but it's largely, to me, inspired by I used to love her and inspired by Act 2, and then you and Erica Badu had Love of My Life, which is also inspired by that same song. Um, Tell me about what made you make... I used to love her. And did you know that it was going to inspire this much creativity from other artists?
2: Well, thanks for the love on the song. But I, I, you know, I was writing I used to love her. I was, first of all, when I released Can Bar a dollar, you know, I knew I had to get better. I knew I was like, I mean, I, I put out what I put out and it was like one of those moments where you like, okay, the world is not paying attention. You got to, <laughs> you got to work on your craft, man. Okay. And, um, I just really started working on my craft and getting better and like at the time I was listening to John Coltrane and reading mm-hmm. and and just like that's when I started to grow into who I was and starting to learn and think more for myself. Mm-hmm. Listening to Midnight Marauders and yeah. you know Souls of Mischief and and then Nas like on on um stretching Barbito show. Just all this stuff was leading me to, to improving it as an MC. And I and I was freestyling with these cats that we used to that no ID had brought around. We were just we would always be rhyming, like we were sharpening each other, and 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 that led me to to definitely feeling like okay, I'm getting better, I'm getting there. Um, when Dion made, when No ID made the beat, for I used to love. It, I remember being like, yo, this beat is, I loved it. Like, 'cause I'm, I love like jazz, soulful music, like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I just love it. I come, you know, I grew up going to church, and I just, many rippets and my babysitters listen to it, so I just love soul soul music, <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire, so. I, when when he sampled with this George Benson joint I was like oh this is dope but what what sparked me to write I used to love it, to be honest was I was really looking at some of the East Coast and west coast really it was some East Coast artists that started imitating um some of the West Coast artists and I was mm-hmm. like no this is not what please don't 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 do that because like, I always loved how what hip-hop like if I didn't have to even go to Brooklyn to know what Brooklyn was like, because you mm. all paint pictures of Brooklyn. Mm. Like, right. I knew what Queensbridge was because Nas was able to paint pictures, and I would. Mm. It's like tribes. Like, I knew what Compton was because of Ice Cube and, and MC8. Compton's mm. most one. I knew what these places were, and I was like, man, we. I don't want to see East Coast artists try to be West Coast, um, right. because it, it takes away from like it's. Because really, the motive of it seemed purely about like record sales. And I and it's something that when I was writing that song, I was like, man, it's about this culture. It's about the art form. You staying pure and true to that. Yeah. So I looked at my, you know, as a hip hop purist, I was like, <laughs> man, I just want the art to to stay true to what it is. And and so I I wrote the. I remember sitting in my in my apartment. I was staying with with one of my guys, Rasan. We was we was standing High Park, and man, my boys had just left. They they had just got through. um they was, they was smoking some weed. I was drinking a little bit. Of, I didn't drink too much that night, I remember. <laughs> and I was playing that beat. And I, man, I said, man, what if I make hip-hop a girl? And then I just, man, it was one of the quickest songs I wrote. And and that's my same roommate, Rasan. I remember laying it down in the studio. And he was listening the whole time. And this is how immature we was at this point. He when he thought I was talking about a girl, he was frowning. Like I, I was watching him as I was rapping, I was watching him through the booth. He frowning, okay. like, why is he talking about this girl? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then like, you know, like, cause we young dudes, you know, we just, it just, it was a love song. Right. And he like, why is he doing why is he doing this love song? Right. That ain't nasty. To- <laughs> that yeah, that that ain't, you know, that ain't care. That ain't right. like Rock Hill. You know. But then as soon as I got to the last line, it was like, who I'm talking about, Charles? Hip hop. He just was like, "Oh my god!" Oh. You know, <laughs> he busts his head over. Like, I still remember that reaction, and I'm saying that to say, mm. I felt the song would 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 get some people. With, you know, you never know what. You know, I never had an idea that they would base a movie on the song, or mm-hmm. you know, we would be going out. Like, to be honest, "Love of My Life" with Erica was the first um, Grammy that I ever mm. won, and and it was just you never. You don't even vision when you're writing. You're not even thinking about like, okay, this these things can go to this level. You just really wanting to be heard. Like I wanted yeah. people to, to be. The reason I call that album Resurrection is because i I was like I felt like I was coming from the dead. Like nobody right. knew who I was. Um, and you know I wanted to put Chicago on the map. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted De La Soul to know I existed. You know, yeah. so all those things. Do so you want to be, like, be an MC? You know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, it was an honor. It's funny you say something about I never knew that Dream Hampton story. I, I never knew that that um, Brown Sugar was somewhat based on I, Dream I'm, Hampton. I
0: might have got that wrong, but I think I heard that Sanat Lathan's character was formed around, the journalist character was formed around some, yeah. some, of, some of the Dream Hampton
2: oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I can, I can believe that, yeah. But it was but, definitely influenced
0: but, by your song. It was definitely like telling the story of that song. Yeah,
2: yeah because, you know... The writer Mike Elliot actually came to me to write some other things previously. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, um, of course, you remember it. the thing that it was called "Common the Hip Hop." The thing that most and Beyond Common Hip Hop, Hip Hop, Hip
1: Hop, Yeah, Common yeah. Hip Hop. Yeah. Hip-hop yeah, oh, that's when they, that's yeah. when the
0: era. That was the era when all the girls was wearing they, they pants hanging off they ass. They yes, to with just the ass. Yes, was the top showing. of their butt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every every girl in that movie had had a dong showing out they, yep. out they jeans. That was the
2: era. Oh, man. Uh, did do you did you not like
0: that era? Did you? I love that era. I had no problem with that era. That's why I remember. That's the that was my main takeaway from that movie. Uh, I
1: wasn't allowed to so wear that, my jeans yeah. like that, but I wanted to.
2: So he actually had come to me to write on that movie, but I wasn't ready yet. I was like, Nah. I mean, I I just I was still focusing on making the album, and I just mm. didn't wasn't thinking about it from that perspective. So when Brown Sugar came. And they they actually screened the movie for me and Erica, um, cause they wanted her to do a song or us to do a song. And I was like, yo, I was watching the movie like, yo, this thing is based on how I used to love her pretty much. Right. And when they mentioned when they mentioned the song in the movie, I was just like, damn, they talking about me in a movie. I'm, wow. I can't believe it. Like <laughs> right. you know, it was it, you know, when you quiet, I don't know when you started writing, I don't know if you knew how far you would go like. Mm-hmm. To, to be doing the things you're doing but i must say like i didn't know the dream big till later like i, mm-hmm. I just was really wanting to be heard i had dreams it was the seeds were there the dreams mm-hmm. was there because i want i wanted to be an MC. so that's a dream mm-hmm. and i wanted to be like out there making records but to know the extent that we're taking it now i mean you and i have sat down in the white house mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with, with president obama right. like who would have thought Hip hop would take us there, man. Right, because yeah. of these
0: bars. Right.
1: There was also a little drama surrounding the I, I used to love her when um, you mentioned about uh, some gangster rappers and you and we had Ice Cube on. And he talked about the drama and was saying how happy he was. It was squashed, and um, he said he saw yeah. Common after that and didn't feel any animosity. It was a genuine love, and when he was genuinely happy to be past that point, I don't even think about that beef. It was a dark moment in my career. Common is a good dude. I don't think he deserved it. How did you feel going through that situation?
2: I, I, when I first heard the diss, I was actually sitting in the car with my same homie, Rasan, <laughs> and King and King T, King T, and um, who's a West Coast rapper. And we were going to, I think it was an alcoholic show. We was just at an alcoholic show, and King T came into the car. We were listening to it, and I was like, I was hurt. But I also was happy that Cube knew who I was. <laughs>
1: so,
2: <laughs> I was like, "Damn, Ice Cube know who I am. This shit is incredible." <laughs> but then I also was like, "Man, man, this dude dissed me." So then I was like, I also felt, "Man, why did why did he think I was dissing the West Coast? Because I got love for them. Like I showed some of their covers in the in the video, and like N.W.A. specifically, Ice Cube." Was, you know, one of my favorites and still to this day is one of the greatest, you know, artists to do mm-hmm. music and do hip hop music and tell stories. He's a great storyteller. So I was surprised that he dissed me, to be honest. But still, I, it was mixed emotions. Like um, And then I only decided to to do the diss record when when um, I saw them on BET and they were like talking to Big lads and they was like, yeah, common, you know. And I was like, man, they keep going at me and I'm not like, I ain't no punk. Now yeah. like I mean, I know I'm about love and but I ain't no punk. So I remember sitting down in my room. I mean, I had an apartment, I had this basement apartment. I had just bought a building and, and um and I was I set up a basement apartment. I used to have my records. KRS put out these instrumentals. Um, and I put on this KRS instrumental and man, I just wrote the bitch in you. And I wrote the first verse and I was like, man, I'm about to, you know, I'm going at it. And I and I, mm-hmm. I was going, I was out there rapping that verse. I would be out with De La Soul and they would just, we would stop the show and I would rap that verse. And I did it at, mm-hmm. at the House of Blues in L.A. And the crowd was giving me love. I was like, ready. I didn't know what was going to go down. But I just, at a certain point, I just got stirred up and got caught up in it. And I was like, whatever happened is going to happen. But um, so... I did that and that's what made me write a second verse to it. Then I was trying to find a a, a producer to, to create, you know, the song mm-hmm. with and no ID didn't really want to do it. I don't think he cuz he's in the Nation of Islam. He kind of was mm-hmm. like and Premier I, Premier definitely wasn't going to do it. I was trying to get <laughs> right. to Premier. But I ended up P-Rock P-Rock um said, "Yeah, he'll do it." We went to his basement, me and Black Thought. We went to P-Rock's basement. He hooked up that beat. And I was like, "Yo, we going with?" It. <laughs> and I used to do it. And uh, you know, eventually, as Cube said, we just got cool. Minister Farrakhan squashed the beef. Mm-hmm. This is right after Biggie and Pocket died. God bless th- those brothers' souls. We all had this meeting. It was all this like, Goody Mob, Fat Joe, Ice Cube, all of us. And he was like, "Man, basically, like, man, y'all, y'all becoming victims of the Willie Lynch letter. Y'all like wow. going at each other for." For what reason? For, right. East Coast, West Coast. Like, you know. And then I knew Q was a good dude. He knew I was a good dude. Later on, 20 years, not 20 years, but some maybe 20 years later, I get to be in his film, um, The Barbershop. Yeah. Mm. Film. Making like,
0: songs with him. You made a song for the film and everything.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yo, what's crazy is we were about to talk about it on set. Like We was about to have a real, like, man, what I was feeling was you was feeling as soon as we started his phone rang and <laughs> we never talked about it after that so it was all love man i mean i got nothing but love for ice cube he one of our greatest he a great yes. man a great leader and just a cool dude yeah and i saw that interview when, that y'all did with him i, I was kind of I, I was moved he was like man common ain't deserve that yeah but, you know everything is not as we grow i'm glad we both can be here to talk about how we grew through it Mm -hmm. and you know that's what beef can be at times you know it's like Mm -hmm. you get through it like you you you, you're in that emotional state Mm -hmm. and you may say man let me get past this you know let me be an adult yeah
0: my favorite thing that he said about in that interview is when when i asked him why he did it, he said i thought i heard something
2: (laughs) 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 well that's ice cube right there right i I thought i heard
0: something yeah i thought i heard something so I, i spoke on it um yeah. uh, you mentioned you, you you mentioned No ID a couple times, so I just want to take the time before we go any further to shout out Doug Infinite, Twilight Tone, uh yeah. No ID, the, the producers who were the architects of your the early part of your career. Because me for me, sonically, what you did, I obviously you're a great lyricist, but sonically um what you did was was very inspirational as well with those albums.
2: Yo, give thanks. Yeah, No ID, Twilight. And then Doug F. came in like around the third album and we was cooking mm-hmm. up. But No Idea and, and Twilight really set the sound for me. Like the, they mm-hmm. created a sound and, and they yeah. were evolving too, man. Like because after I, my first album, we only had, we were only, sam- they were only sampling records that we had access to, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have a lot of money to go buy a bunch of records. So it was like people's father's records and these mm-hmm. things. So after that first album... That's when they really started being able to go to like those record buying stores, right. collection stores, and and man, they were really digging. And we got introduced to the Beat Nuts and all that stuff in the in the, mm-hmm. between the first and the second album. And um, man, no, actually during the first album, I met the Beatnuts. And but I watched them grow, and they really two of the most talented. And Doug, and once Doug came on, like Doug was pure hip hop. He was like, all we doing is this. this he, all he wanted was like the raw, like. Gritty Primo mm-hmm. was one of his favorites. I could, I knew it, and uh, mm-hmm. so he loved those type of beats. And he was able to create that. Him and No ID did a lot of great stuff together too. So those are some of my favorites. They're still my brothers, and some mm-hmm. of my, you know, favorite yeah. guys. You know, just they, they started me off. So I always love them,
0: brothers. No doubt. More than once, you've made what I consider one of the greatest hip hop songs. We talked about "I Used to Love Her," um, but let's also talk about a "Song for Asada," which is dedicated to Asada Shakur. Assata Shakur is one of our um, uh, most beloved revolutionaries and figures in the struggle for our black lives and the movement for black lives. Um, She is central to the black power movement. She is uh, living in Cuba in exile after escaping prison uh, for, you know, she got shot and then she was accused of murdering a cop. Um, The Malcolm X grassroots movement is a organization that took us to Cuba We went on separate trips, but we both went to meet Asada Shakur. They gave us political education before we would do their events. We would perform at the Black August events. Um, Tell me about meeting Asada and tell me about how receiving the political education from the Malcolm X grassroots movement impacted your career and your life.
2: Yeah, that was, man, the Malcolm X grassroots movement. That was like very powerful for me because it was the first time that I felt like I was being... Organized. I was being part of an organization that was doing work, like that was actually doing real work, and mm-hmm. and you know it was. I read the books, and mm-hmm. I was speaking them musically, and I felt like I was doing certain things on a conscious side. But I felt like seeing being part of the Malcolm X grassroots movement or supporting that, and them taking us to Cuba. I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm starting to do it. What I seen, you know, like the the, the yeah. Marvin Gaye's or the and the Harry Belafontes and Nina Simone's and, and those mm-hmm. artists, you know, um, that stood up, which I didn't know at the time, but even you know Sam Cooke, all these artists that really like were were being activists in ways and showing up for the for movements. So and mm-hmm. the, and their political education was like, I felt like man, I got it. I was so grateful to get the information and be around, and it felt like I was surrounded by just wise people who were really for our people and really mm. sh- striving to do good. So, I, you know, when they took me to Cuba, I felt it, it was rewarding for me and it was also a blessing because it, it led me to say, man, I'd already read Asada's book, but I want to go back mm. to Cuba and see if I can get in tune with Asada. And that kind of, mm. it started that path because I met people in Cuba when we went to perform the first time. So I decided to write this book, I mean, write this song because I had read Asada's book over and over and actually mm-hmm. my daughter Moye, her middle name is Asada um, and and I was like, man, I'm going to write this song and I'm going to see if I can get Asada on this song. Like, just, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to ha- have a voice. Um, yeah. So, I was able to connect with her. It was such a blessing to meet her because you know, not only is she one of my heroes but it it taught me that you could be a revolutionary and still have fun because when mm, i met her we mm. were down there like enjoying yeah. ourselves you know she was rapping she freestyled with me you know like yeah, she's she freestyled vibrant. yeah she's vibrant man she got the energy and it was just like it was so eye opening for me and i you know it's it's rare that you think that you'll meet somebody of that that you respect and honor uh, and love so much you know that did you because they you figured they in exile in Cuba yeah but it happened and um, I'm grateful like she ended up talking on the song CeeLo sang that hook and uh, man to this day some people come up to me and be like man I started learning who Asada was because of your song and,
1: that's you right
2: know, and and now she's impacted their lives the way she's impacted us Kwai and, and so many others right. so I mean it's it's a powerful thing it's the the, the the thing that hurts me about that, though, is that I, funny enough, I was doing a film and I was playing like somebody that was like an undercover um, FBI mm-hmm. police guy. And mm-hmm. we had somebody from the FBI sitting at this dinner table and they was mm-hmm. talking about who's on the most wanted list. And they was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this woman, Joanne Chessamax. Mm-hmm. This is like 2018. I said, yeah. What? Like she, she was number. She brought this FBI agent brought her up. Joanne Chesimard Asada. Yep. A, like first, up. first said, woman,
0: first woman ever on the list, I think. And the they, the bounty for Asada is two million dollars.
2: Man, it's so ridiculous, man. Like with all this stuff that is going on in, in this country, that you actually have her on the most wanted list, and like it, it, it's it's just ridiculous. It's crazy. And um, you know, like see, I I know from meeting her. And I haven't talked to her in, in years, but from meeting her, she was happy with where she was, mm-hmm. but as she said, it's not you know nothing like seeing your people. She grew up in North Carolina. she It's nothing like seeing your people and just the taste of fried chicken you know and just <laughs> certain right. things, it's just black American. and um, right. you know, but I love her. I've been inspired by her. she's still shaping helping shape our lives. Yes. I read something she wrote just recently. Um, and I was like, man, this woman is just she's incredible. Like her as a writer, she's incredible. So I love her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace to Nahanda Abbey uh yeah. as well, who was down there with her, and that was our our tour guide there. Um talk to me about Electric Lady, because you and me, we met each other um earlier than that, but we were both working on albums in Electric Lady. I was working on Reflection Eternal on the top floor. You was working on Like uh, like Water for Chocolate with Dilla on the second floor. Uh, Amir and Pino Palladino and James Poiser and uh, D'Angelo were working on Voodoo on the bottom floor. Um, to me, I feel like you need a kitchen to cook in. And Electric yeah. Lady was like our, our kitchen. So describe the vibe for the people.
2: Yeah, man, that, that vibe, that place is like no other, to be honest, man. I mean, I've been in studios all around the the world, um, and it's something about whatever Jimi Hendrix created that way. He created that with a lot of love and just yeah. He built that studio and, for and, the audience. Yeah, and that and the artistry that's been there. Um, you know, us being like being in that space, that kitchen, as you said, being in that and having that collective of artists, it created some of the richest music ever some of the most profound and beautiful music that ever man and um it's something to be able to go upstairs and hear what you're working on or you know and then amir says pop into this session and you see what d'angelo is working on and then erica badu comes comes around and we sparking things up and then Bilal and and Man, it yeah. just was most. It just was like, yeah. And then Dave, Dave Chappelle would come to some some of the studio sessions. That's and right. then we go. Now we go. I met
0: I met I met Dave Chappelle in, in Ohio at Kent Ken Ken Kenyon College. But I saw Dave Chappelle and his uh future wife Elaine walking down the street. I had going outside because I was going to Fat Beats to go buy a piece of vinyl. And I ran into Dave Chappelle and he said, What you doing? I said, I'm right there in the studio. And that's how he came in the studio that day. Oh wow. What? You just, yeah. saw the, just saw him on the I saw him on the street. <laughs> and he came every day. He came every day after that. Dude,
2: that was yo. That's you know, that's just divine order, man. Things that's mm-hmm. supposed to happen. Cause you going out just for we was just about to go to Fat Beats? Yeah, I was about to go to Fat Beats. Damn. And now look at this. We are we out here at Dave Chappelle's <laughs> like in Yellow Springs. Like. <laughs> right, but right, though, right. Yeah, but it was dope. It was dope to be in those sessions like even from the, the points of people like Dream Hampton would come by. It's like to me, it was, it was really like a collective of different minds and and artists coming around, and and it inspired you, man. It was just like mm-hmm. I, I made. I go back there now and still record sometimes. But the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, we looking to create, as we said, let's create something like where we can have a kitchen now that's, that, that'll be that's our right. electric lady of, of this day and age.
0: That's right, that's right. Where does where does Bond? Um now, Jay Dilla, you developed a close working relationship uh with him at this time. Dilla made the beat for one of your biggest songs, Delight. Um, when you heard that beat, um did you realize how big that song would be? You know what? I I felt like
2: this song, you you know, you ever listen to some music and it takes you like it gives you an out-of-body experience. Like you feel like, man, this Mm -hmm. is I got I was getting like that feeling of, it was certain pieces of music that make me feel like, like it, it make my soul jump. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's, it's an overwhelming feeling. I heard, I heard, when when Dilla played me the light, it wasn't even exactly the way it was now. It was a, it was a song that, um and he just, you know, he had to beat. And honestly, I think at one point he was about to send it to Fife or whatever. And then um mm-hmm. he was like, Oh man, yo, you could you could use this, and then I was like, "What's that? What's that?" He's like, "Yo, you could use this." He's like, "Let me redo it," and he just redid it, man. He put put the drums that he put on there, and right. I can remember being in um, Brooklyn. I was I was staying at, at my um she she was a her name was Andrea, God bless her soul. She was the international rep for our record label. I was standing. I was when I first moved to Brooklyn. I I, I came to Brooklyn with like. Two weeks worth of clothing. I thought I was gonna go back and forth Chicago to Brooklyn. Right. Ended up staying there. Me and Derek and my cousin Ajiley, God rest his soul too. Rest in um, peace
0: to Ajiley. That brother's eyes. missed.
2: Yes, yes. So I, I remember like being in her apartment, going down the stairs, and and I had that beat on, and I was listening to it in my headphones, and I started writing about I never knew a la la. I just, Mm. you know, started coming up with that, and then I was like, man, this song felt—it felt like heartfelt. Mm. It was beautiful for me. Once we put it out, first of all, Amir told me just last week, no, about last month, that he was gonna try to talk me into taking the light off off the album because he didn't think it fit. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, bro, you. Amir's always meddling. Yeah, it mattered. <laughs> and and another thing is, because we sampled that song, they wanted a hundred. They took a hundred percent of the publishing. They wanted right. So, my lawyers was actually trying to talk me into not using the song, and I was like, no, I'm using this song. And yeah, give and, them they
0: give them their coins, give them their bread. Like, let's yeah, give
2: them, I mean, yeah, like look, you know, and to this day, I'm glad I followed my heart on that. It was the first song that. To answer your question, I guess I didn't know. That it would get to that level because I didn't have records that was on the radio to be honest up to that point,
1: mm, right.
2: and and this this song got to like pop radio and that that was just a new thing for me. It was the first time I seen young black girls singing my song like, yeah. you know, you know, like girls that were maybe thirteen <laughs> or fourteen right. who, who weren't who weren't listening to yeah jazz, <laughs> like right, 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 like you know. <laughs> then jazz is you know that age it's like right, right, right. It, it was amazing it was amazing. That, that touched my that touched my heart man because i was i was like wow like cuz they they didn't they weren't into Common like that before that like because you know i'm just a hip hop dude to them Right. but that song like touched it touched them and mm-hmm. i remember doing radio um summer jams and stuff and i was like i remember telling my friends like yo this the first song I had like young black girls singing my song, and it right, felt great. Right, because before so. that,
0: before that, you was like, "Fuck, ladies, this is Ripper a motherfucking night." <laughs> 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 yeah, you ain't
2: gonna get the ladies, you ain't gonna get the ladies <laughs> rocking with you saying that. Fuck, some, ladies, some this is Ripper Motherfucker motherfucking <laughs> night. <laughs> uh,
1: thank you so much for not listening to the naysayers and making that song because you're right, it is a beautiful song. In it, you're right, you right, "You want to be." the one to make you the happiest and the hurt you the most. And the sort of honesty about relationships in a rap song, and it kind of pegged you as being this uh, masculine, sensitive rap dude. Was that like your intention
2: (laughs) or is that just like who you
1: are deep down?
2: I think it's just who I am. um, And, you know, I was, it was my love for like, I actually was writing that song with I had a person in mind but I also was using imagination because that relationship hadn't cultivated mm. <laughs> so it was like a lot of things that that we do I mean it was my do I have by doing mine and, hmm. and okay yeah yeah but it also was like none of the stuff I was talking about was really had we reached that level so you know, like with many songs, you you could root them in something truthful, and mm-hmm. then you you know you use your creativity and imagination to take it to places. And that's really what I did with the song. And I was just being honest with where I was at the time. Like, um, I I never I'm grateful that I grew up around people who you could just you could be yourself. Now they're gonna talk about you, they're gonna joke on you and, and sig on you and stuff. You you can have fun, but you could be yourself. So mm-hmm. I'm a person that is. You know, like I'm a caring human being. I'm also a real nigga too. So it's yeah. like, like I'm a I'm a man, and I and but I felt like it's okay for me to express myself in this way, and I'm okay with like whoever comes. You know, I guess I felt like if anybody got something to say, then they can bring it. But that ain't that you know? <laughs> why, feel- why you go battle me because I'm talking about love or talk talk? <laughs> cra- I mean, I know cats always be like, yo, certain stuff is out of softness. But I guess I grew out of that thinking. Like I said, the difference between me doing, I used to love him. My homie being like, "Why is he doing a love song to me doing the light?" And like, yeah, this right. is a love song to a woman. Right. Like, unapologetic. I with it. Yeah, unapologetic. So it was it. You know what, Jazz? I felt good being a black man, being able to express that, um, like that sensitivity towards mm-hmm. women and and uplift women. And you know, y'all did that too, qua. You know, like y'all mm-hmm. uplifted women, and and that and and that. That's that shit is dope, man. <laughs> as simple as that, yeah. and it I mean, is. I feel like that's what that's one of our duties as, as men as, as in in our communities and and in culture and in our families. We we supposed to respect and honor and lift up um, black women, and I felt like that's what that song was doing. It did it from a pure place, and to this day, you know, I think it's the reason that some women even know who Common
1: is. (laughs) Word up. It's important for rap songs to uplift women because, I mean, yeah, we love to be booty shakers and and, in the strip club, but we also love to be loved. And black women need to be shown love.
2: Yes. And and that's dope to hear you say, Jazz, because it's true. Yo, you still want to shake your booty and have fun and, like, you know, you want to dance and kick in it. You could be sexual and be – but you also still – can be respected Mm -hmm. and, like, have integrity and be valued. And I think, you know, at one point, to be honest, I feel like we were letting the music kind of separate us. Um, And it wasn't the music, the mentality, like, well, if I do a conscious song, then that means I can't really, like, connect with these people over here. Right. But, I mean, I think we all have grown to understand that, man, we are deep people. We people that got different emotions through the course of a day, I feel like, I mean, I, I read my scriptures, but I also want to drink and talk shit and curse, you know, and just have mm-hmm. fun. Yes. Um, and then, you know, I might sit down and talk to somebody about meditation. I might meditate and then, you know, I might be out here just doing something silly, but it's it's all like, it shows, you know, who we are as as human beings. We, we're round individual, whole individuals. So I, I, I'm glad to be able to express that. in in our music, and I'm glad to hear you say that as far as a woman, that you wanna dance, but be uplifted.
0: Yes. That's right, that's right, that's right. Um, You and Dilla were roommates during Dilla's last couple of years. Um, You connected musically, you were obviously uh, very close. Can you share maybe a story that you haven't shared about living with Dilla in his last days?
2: Well, when we first, when Dilla and I first moved to LA, like I mean, I was I was pretty much staying there already, and then um, I was like, "Man, Jay, you should come out here," because I knew he was dealing with um, a lot of stuff in Detroit, and he was already dealing with like uh, the um, the disease he had. Mm-hmm. And so when he came out there, it just was like I could see his energy being better. It, you know, it it was like his whole spirit was getting better. But the mm-hmm. but the thing is, um, what was funny it was. Diller would always watch um um Jerry Springer at every like every I'd be coming home and that dude would be watching Jerry Springer I'd be like man you know and then uh then he'd get right up and just get on that on that drum machine and be making beats man and I remember us like I feel like I I would go buy records and he was buying records but I would like just buy all these soul records mm-hmm. and I felt like to be honest um a lot of the stuff that for Donuts, I think it was like just some of them soul records that I bought. Right. I mean, he started buy, buying soul too, but it was like I was only buying the stuff that I kind of knew or in mm-hmm. things I would come across. Um, and, you know, JD knew all oh, so much music. But mm-hmm. it was dope to hear him go like down the soul record road. Like that whole album is a lot of soul records, Donuts mm-hmm. is, um, you know, with a few exceptions. And, you know, he made that in our front room, man. It was just incredible. Yeah. He made that in our front room and then somewhat from his hospital bed. And it was just incredible to um, to witness and just have my one of my closest friends just to be there with, like, him watching, watching him make these beats and being around and just being able to wake up and hear Dilla beat, like, or see him on the drum machine, it was like, man, this is mm. amazing. You know, it's one of those things, like, we like we was talking quiet. Like, sometimes yeah. you just appreciate the moment. I got to say, I definitely appreciated the moment because I knew that he also was sick. And, and, you know, I didn't know if he would make it. We didn't know if he was going to make it or not. So mm. that was another dynamic that I probably never talked about that was hard. Um, because for me, it was the beginning of my, like, the album Be it come out. um Like, I was just starting my—I got my first film, um, Smoking Aces. So my life was, like, vibrant, and I was moving Mm -hmm. around. And to see somebody you're really close with, like, really not—like, losing—pretty much losing their life in front of you. um, Man, it was hard, man. It was hard. Like, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I I never—it took me time to deal with that and to understand that because you feel guilty. You feel— different things like you don't you don't even want to come in and be like man i just did this because you see like it's painful for this brother to stand up um and it was Mm. something man like it was something when i when he the day he passed i was coming from an audition and his mother called me and i was rolling down detroit street and she Mm. said yo he passed and i was just like Mm. man you know yeah, you just felt it in the air. It was it was a, it was a tough, tough, a tough one, man. And still to this day, we know Dilla still lives through the, through his art yes. and through his music. But but man, it's just you know that's somebody who I'm like man, in your 32 years of living, man, you did a lot, bro. You did a lot.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Rest in peace to Dilla. Rest in peace. And
2: yeah. rest in peace to yeah. Ba 10 too. Yeah, B-10 too, man. God bless Dilla, God bless my 10 song too. Yes, yes.
1: At the time you performed with Erica Badu a lot, you guys were in a relationship which has ended, but you guys have stayed really close. What is your secret to um, remaining close friendships with your exes and not looking for gossip, just wisdom on the subject? (laughs) 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 Well,
2: uh, I think, you know, I think being able to to stay close, like with with my ex-girlfriends, um, has been about the way I treated them during the relationship and the way I end the relationship, um, or the way they ended, you know. <laughs> um, meaning, meaning, it's like I feel like you know I'm, I'm not perfect, but I think I give a sincerity and a truth. And um, usually, if I'm ending a relationship with someone, it, I'm gonna be as honest as possible. And eventually, once they get past the hurt of it, or once I get past the hurt of it, then I can see that, okay, this is a good person. This is mm-hmm. somebody I valued in my life. Or I think that they can see that, you know, they value me in their lives, mm-hmm. in their lives. And, um, and just because it's not in the same shape and form that it was before doesn't mean that um, we can't still be benefits to each other's lives. Like, like per se, Erica, like Erica and I, I feel like that's a soul connection that'll be there forever. Um, but it didn't have to t- only take the shape of being in a relationship, uh mm-hmm. romantic relationship. And now we can build each other up in different ways. And I've, you know, each person is different. I have different relationships with, but I will say most, of, you know, the majority of the ex-girlfriends I have, you know, we still cool. It ain't, it ain't no, no love loss Now, right. you know, to be real, like, The mother of my child, it took some time to grow through that because it's a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, it's a child involved, and and you know, it's just a different dynamic. That's all I can say. And I and I really, honestly, you know, that taught me some lessons in like how I move forward. You know, if I, you know, if for me, it's like if I wanted to have more children, I would rather be married and be in that in that space or be committed to a partner, because I. Mm Cause I definitely <laughs> didn't want to be in the, in that situation again. So I think mm-hmm. I just you know approach. I try to treat people like people, no matter what. I I, I strive to be better and, and work on forgiveness. Um, you know, and I one of the things that's most important to me, you know, as much as k- career and art is, is working on myself. Mm-hmm. So I just try to work on myself, and I think that helps in in the, in the long run of just being people being able to respect you as an individual and see your integrity and see your value.
0: Yes, well, you've done it in fine fashion. Um, yeah, you keep great people around you, though. Um, you've blessed me with being able to tour with you more than once. We toured on a Spit Kicker tour. You took me on an electric circus tour. You took me on a tour with you to Australia. And I've met some of my favorite musicians through touring with you, DJ Dummy, who introduced me to my yeah. first DJ, DJ Chaps, um, Kareem yeah. Riggins. Was drumming yeah. with you on the road. Um, Omar Edwards was playing keys with you on the road and went on to be one of the most sought after MDs keyboard players on the planet. Um, yeah. I I brought Kanye West on the Electric Circus tour, and he was he was coming out and trying to take over my show. Um, <laughs> but but um, what made you want to sign with Good Music and work with Kanye uh, to that level?
2: Well. You know what I felt like when I said, "Man, I, I I felt like I needed to humble myself to a certain degree." And at the same token, I, I felt at that point in my career was like a it was a rebirth. I look at careers mm-hmm. like like spirals, like a cycle going around, and like mm-hmm. you start at the beginning. Like Cannibal Dollar was one point, and as I went around that circle, I think Electric Circus was the end of that cycle, and then mm-hmm. work starting to work with Kanye. Was was the start of a new cycle, a new new spiral in his career. And being on the song with you and, and Yay Get Em High was mm-hmm. it was ref, it was rebirth and refreshing for me because at that time I, when I released Electric Circus, so many people were like, "Man, Common fell off. This is mm. what is it? This? this ain't hip hop. This is you know." So that was the first time I took that much like criticism, even from the critics. You know, you know, usually. Even if I released the album and it wasn't getting like the radio play, I would still get the hip hop love. Like the, the bass crowd, the community still was like, yo, common is dope, or right. yeah, we rocking with you. That one was like, it, it, it shook the house, man. Cast was like, mm-hmm. man, we ain't rocking with this. So, <laughs> so for me, I was like really looking for what, what's the next plateau for me? How am I gonna continue to grow as a music artist? And Man, Ye had always been around saying, I got beats, I got beats. But initially when he first was doing that, it was this was like when he was 19 and No ID was right there, like kind of mentoring him and showing him stuff. So it, for me, it was like, man, the beats is cool. You got good beats, but... I'm here with a master right now and his right. and his sound a little more at the level. So I didn't never right. I never worked with Ye like out there. I, I took some beats, he would come around and rhyme with me. Um we and we he would come to my basement and we'd be rhyming and stuff, but we I never used any of his beats. So during in two thousand and three after Get Him High, we was uh or maybe it might have been around around the time of Get Him High, we um He was just making beats, and then he was like, yo, you want this? And I was like, yes. And then I started working with him, and as I worked with him, I was like, this is what I need. So I decided, I said, yo, I want to be a part of good music. I approached him. I said, you know what? I'll release this album on good music. And he was like, yes. And he wrote something in this this little table book he had that was really kind of defined what a good partnership is about in anything. And he said, you know, basically, it's when you're bringing something to the table, and they're bringing something to the table, like what I think he knew was like I had a, a name in in hip hop and a, a foundation and a credibility, um, and he obviously had the gift of being a genius um, producer and visionary when it came to just making the music. So I think what we both brought together, I saw the value in it, and I saw that it would be great. I, you know, I knew that it would be great to be a part of that of Ye's, like, collective envision vision, and he was going to push it hard. Um, and, yo, man, it just, you know, it turned out to be a great partnership, man. And That's still, for me, one of the best mm-hmm. um, producers and talents i ever been able to work with. And he supported my music. I always feel loyal to Kanye because he supported me in different ways. It was a, it was a tough, that was a tough period for me. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, right after I had, a, a, Eric and I broke up. Electric Circus ain't really jumping off the way I, you know, I thought I was gonna come do some like fresh outcasts, like new sound <laughs> stuff, you know. People was right. like, nah, we not, we not nah. you know, we not rocking. <laughs> so it so it was one of those times and, and he was right there to just support me and create. And man, like I said, the being you know quite like he's a producer. Like he yeah. gonna make sure that song is right. He helping with the hooks. He coming, yeah, like and that's a that's a that's a gift, man, and, and I understood. You know, I learned more and more what what producing is by working with Ye. So it was. Mm-hmm. It's been dope, and that good music affiliation has been incredible.
1: Now I've been patient long enough. I have to acknowledge the elephant in the Zoom. Boom, boom. That
0: uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, You terrible. You should come do (laughs) stand-up out here. I'm way better at stand-up than that just showed. I
1: promise. I promise, guys. (laughs) Uh, All right. So speaking of Kanye, speaking of loyalty, you guys were together when Kanye let out his tweet and said he's going to be running for president 2020. We don't know if it was a joke because this is 2020, like I said, and anything is possible. So this (laughs) question is for both of you guys. What was your first impression, second impression, you really think Kanye's going to win? Are you about to be on Kanye's uh, campaign team? What's going on?
2: <laughs> Rush. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> well is deflecting this. Uh, let me say this. I'll say, um, first of all, you know, like I said, I support Kanye. That's my brother. I would, mm-hmm. like, when I first saw that tweet um, last night, uh, it was one of those things that was, I was like, yo, we are in a different time. Is this, you know, this for real? This is I wanted this Jay for real. And, you know, I started thinking like we we need a leader and a president who really is politically adept, um, has knows what you know the world of politics, but also is just like an incredible leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like this ain't a time where, like, I, I love Ye, That's my guy. I would have to sit down and talk with him and see what he is, what is he's even thinking. But right mm-hmm. now, in my mind, I, I, we need another Obama. Mm-hmm. We need. I mean, I know <laughs> it's not like just a, but we need, you know, somebody who's just going to be like, has been in this political game to a certain degree, but still, like, just is for the people and cares for the people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm saying that to say. I would at least sit down and talk with Ye and see what he what he's on and if and if he's mm-hmm. serious about this. But I still don't know if I'm like, yo, I'm going out saying, yo, Ye, go be president. <laughs> <laughs> I really. What what about you, Kwa? What about you? I'll put you
0: up. I mean, I mean, um, back to what we were saying about Malcolm X grassroots movement. The important thing about working with organizations like that is that we received political education and Kanye. For better or for worse, prides himself on not being adept at politics and not really knowing about politics. And he said it himself, so I'm not like outing him or trying to diss him or throwing him shade. He said when he was talking about slavery as a choice, he's wearing a MAGA hat. He was talking about energy. He was talking about how things felt. He's talking about emotions. He 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 free he freely admits that he's not informed on the issues. So I have to say that I do not support his decision. If he's, if he's serious, if he's not just trolling, I can't personally support it because he already told us he's not informed on the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think Kanye is talented enough, smart enough to f- to turn it around maybe, figure it out? Yeah, Kanye has made mistakes that I didn't like and he's he's turned it around very quickly. This mistake of supporting Trump, this is the longest, biggest mistake that he's made. I've been waiting the whole time for him to turn it around and he won't turn it around. He won't take off the goddamn MAGA hat. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel the same as Raj when it comes to what Kanye has done for my career and how Kanye supported me musically. Um, I that's something that is a nuance, something that you and me and, and Lupe and certain other people that work with Kanye, no matter how we might feel politically, we 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 cannot change the fact. That this man is very, very important to our careers and to just how we feed our family. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? Um, so, and, but yeah, and I, that's, I our can't, yeah, that's, that's our brother.
2: Yeah, that's our brother. I support yeah. him. I love him. But I mean, yeah. you know, I understand what you're saying, and I, I mean, mm-hmm. and like I said, I would sit down with him just to be like, yeah. yo, yeah, what you, what you, like, what's, what, what's your plan? Um, but we really need a leader. Let's be, let's let's be honest, y'all. We need a leader that's like on the next level when it comes to politics, um, and thinking and, um, and the people just simple as yeah. that. And, 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 and like, you, like Qua said, I think he's capable of doing a lot of things, but it takes time to, exactly. to dig into it. Just like how he developed his fashion and developed yeah. even as a producer, it takes time. You got to put in time to, to get to that, to that level of, of leadership, to be able to lead a country. So, yeah. you know, I don't think Ye has had that experience.
1: I think that he should take on a smaller uh, role in politics first and maybe do that for the next four years and then come back and try and run. And I think that it's a lot of black people on my uh, social media that are like, I'm going to vote for Kanye. And it's like See, now it's mm, it's messing up votes because that, mm, yeah. that, 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 that is where it's an issue. And then it's also crazy that people are writing like, "Oh, well, he's not a racist or a rapist," and I'm like, "Damn, is that all you don't have to be in order to be a president? Is not a rapist or a racist?" I mean, that's these a that's,
0: that's a good start. That, that. <laughs> 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 that's a, let's let's start with I didn't rape nobody, and I'm not a racist. Let's yeah. let's just start at that baseline. Um, <laughs> but, look, hey, but look, but look, hey, but quiet. look, Abaqua, uh, look at how
2: look at how low our standard has been now for for leadership, mm-hmm. where we saying let's start with. The person not being a rapist, right? And a Which racist. should be a given. Like yo, yo. That, I mean, that shouldn't even be. That shouldn't even be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that. Ain't, that's That. Like you said, that should be a given, Jazz. It's like this. has lowered our standard. The president that's in the office now has lowered the standard so much that it's like, man, we people willing to take anything. But we gotta remember, like we talking about leading. Like these people. I mean, obviously, on the state and local levels, too, we got to remember. That's one thing I want to say to everybody out there that's going out to vote. Or if you're thinking about it, even if you don't like some of the candidates, it's certain policies that, that you may be behind or want to see change that you got to go out and vote for those things, mm-hmm. too. I'm going to believe in, like, grassroots movement, community mm-hmm. work, and policy change. And I think, you yeah. know, as much as we look and say, okay, this president, you know, like, this guy, because I know a lot of people like, man, I ain't rocking with Biden. Well, man, look. Look at what policies or things that you may want. See, it, see where he is on it. And man, it might you vote for the policies too, to a certain degree. And it's up to us people like us, Kwai, and people who can get the ear uh, of of a president to say, man, we gotta. If we gonna give you any support, we are gonna hold you accountable for these things that that you say you're gonna do. I know we get into the political talk, but that's where I am with it. And uh man, I'm I mean, I used to be a guy that didn't even I had no desire to be about around politics or any of that, but I see how much it affects our daily lives. So I'm mm-hmm. you know, I'm more I'm more aggressive about it and just I'm more a more part of it.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Um let's pivot a little bit to movies. Uh I watched you really sort of put your career musically to the side and really take on the Hollywood, the, the acting. I went out there for auditions. I try to follow your lead at at one point. I was like, I seen how you was doing. I was like, I'm going to be like common. I'm going to get into movies and everything like that. And I would go on these auditions and the process of going to audition was so disheartening. I realized sitting in that room, looking at the other actors in the room, I was like, I didn't put in the work. And I was like, I, I watched common put in the work. Um, you putting in that work, got you Man, it got you to working on Hell on Wheels and the Shy and the TV spaces. It's so many great movies. I loved watching you in, in Smoking Aces. Um but, you, but but what I want to ask you is in, in Smoking Aces, whether Smoking Aces, Terminator Salvation, or even Suicide Squad, you nice guy common. Let love rule common. You play a lot of fucking tough guys and gangsters, my nigga. And (laughs) what is it? What is it? What is is it about you on screen that makes directors lean towards wanting to cast you as tough guy, the muscle? What do you think it is?
2: Well, I'm going to be, let me be clear. First, initially, I wanted to definitely play characters that were not, I didn't want to be Rashid on screen. Like, right. I mean, I, when I first began like going to acting classes studying acting I loved that it I was able to learn things about myself express things but also become these different characters like one of the, the biggest joys for me as an actor is just like if I have to play a chef I learn what it is to actually learn how to cook I learn kind of walk in these work walking this person's footsteps and it gives me another type of compassion and understanding for people so I love that aspect about it um, in itself. And you know the first roles I was I was able to get in Smoking Aces, which like you said was a gangster dude. It was like I wanted to be able to do that because you know I didn't want to come out and be just do a love role or mm-hmm. like something. Right. You know I wanted to do something that was different. And and you know and it was a great project for me to be a part of. So I, I felt I felt like you know I I grew up around what I grew up around. I have enough to be able to draw from to be able to become this character. And um, then, you know, I started, I got cast a couple more, and a couple more, like, you mentioned, um, what was it called, Street Kings, and, yeah. you know, even Terminator, in fact, I would say the first probably five or six movies I did, I was holding a gun in each one, and it was right. crazy, he, because... he
0: was robbing Tina Fey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kidnapping exactly. Tina Fey, rather,
2: so, kidnapping... <laughs> yeah, exactly, so, I mean, at a certain point, I was like, I gotta do something different, but... The truth of the matter is I did want to play dark and different characters to start it off. Mm. And let's face it, Hollywood at a certain point, they just see, it, it, they was looking like black, he could play the heavy in, in this. Like he's a right. black dude, he could play the gangster. Um, you know, we 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 are breaking, consistently breaking down those those ideas and concepts that the of them not really seeing black people as different types of people like mm. that's why you know i think it's so dope to have a like a show like atlanta um you know Oh I, man donald great show that that shit is that shit is dope and then you know yeah. you have something like i don't know if y'all saw um chewing gum you ever seen chewing gum yeah the, 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 the sister no. um coel from from english Yo, she's dope, and she's the writer and director. Well, she's a writer and a star of that show. But it's just a different quirky show. It's just like it just shows the diversity in who we are as, as black people, um, and and like how different we are, and we can come with those different. Like I want to be in the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind type of film. Okay, you know I want to be Charlie in, Kaufman or Shawshank Redemption, huh?
0: Yeah, like Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Uh, the writer,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, man. Um. You are a best-selling author twice over. Congratulations. Um, I sell a lot of your books at InKiru Books. Go to qualityclub.com. InKiru yes. Books, you can buy Common's uh, recent book, Let Love Have the Last Word. Um, yeah. Now, this book in particular is very powerful because one of the big stories that came out of it where you opened up you opened up about being molested as a child. Why did you feel the need at this point to share that truth as an adult and have people been grateful that you threw open the door for black men to talk about sexual abuse in a more honest way?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, man, for my whole life, I didn't even acknowledge that that had happened to me. I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, what I found out about myself throughout that process is my way of dealing with trauma is to, it doesn't exist. Like, I just block Mm -hmm. it out. I so happened to be doing a movie um, called The Tale with Laura Dern, and the writer director was a woman who had been um, sexually abused and molested. Uh, but she, at her, her story was that she thought she was in a relationship with her coach. She was a 13 year old girl, and to the point where, where, when we were filming the movie, she thought that, like, yo, this was a relationship. And we were like, yo, you were molested. This dude was 40 mm, and, and you right were 13. Anyway, um, we were in one of the rehearsals, and I told Laura Dern, I was like, Yo, I think I was molested. I this happened mm-hmm. to me. And then man, it was it, it kinda sent me down the road of really like looking at myself. And I had already been like I've gone to therapy before and mm-hmm. like really been doing work on myself. So I was like, this is something I gotta deal with. I gotta right. like really cause I had blocked this out of my my um life and psyche mm-hmm. and I don't know how it's affected me. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm the I'm the type of person that I'm like. I'd rather, if I got an issue, I want to bring it up and get rid of it. You know, as mm-hmm. much as I can. And so I yeah. that's how I felt like. Let me let me work on this, figure this out, and, and and you know, go through this process. And as I was writing the book, I hadn't put it in the book quite actually. But what I did was, oh, okay, I started writing an album based around the book, inspired by the book. Oh, and the so it's so funny, let yeah, the Let Love album. And then it's so crazy because I don't know. I feel like I've expressed so many things musically. Like, I wasn't able to talk about it in the book before I started writing a song about it. I was writing a song Mm. about it, and then I shared the song with with this woman, Tamara, who's on my team, and she was like, man, she was like, man, you got to put it in the book. And I was like, you know Mm. what? I do need to put this in the book because it's something... I knew that books are something that we sit down and have to read and deal with, and you stop. The music Mm. is a different thing. Um, So... I felt that I, I needed to put it in the book. I needed to 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 be able to deal with it. And really, the last thing you said is the, the, it was not only for me, but I felt like it was for other yeah. mm-hmm. people in, in black communities, especially black men, but just in our communities, black and brown communities, to be honest, who looked at that, looked at those things as like, you can't speak on it. And I was like, man, I want to see us heal from this because right. it's. Because when I, when I actually told my mother about it, like before the book came out, she told me that it was part of her life. She, some mm-hmm. something like that had happened to her, um, but mm-hmm. she, you know, she didn't get too deep into it. And I and I was like, man, me telling in my book and me talking about it is my way of hoping to stop the cycle. Because if my mm-hmm. mother could say that something like that happened, I know that it's other people in my family that probably mm-hmm. experienced it. And I feel like as black people, we always taught to keep that quiet or mm-hmm. uncle such and such. Don't say nothing about that. And it's like, man, it's, it's, it's hurting us. It's damaging a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I feel like I'm going to go out there and say it. It's actually real f- freeing to be able to to open up and be like, man, this this happened and, mm-hmm. and this is who I am. And, and I feel like I'm able to be more of myself even more now because I'm learning myself and able to express it. And I, you know, like I suggest, I I suggest and, and and encourage people who go through trauma to be able to have find resources to help them heal. Whether it's therapy, meditation, all the above, spirituality, whatever things that may be, um, mm. I think we need it. I think it's for me. That's part of my fight. When I look at what Trump and all these cats is doing, my way to to my way to battle that is to go out and and create. Um a better communities for us holistically too, like economic wise socially, but also emotionally, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the elements that I never used to think about, like when I was talking about like what we what we should do for the hoods and what we could do for our people. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about trauma and those things because we don't talk about it in our in our communities,
0: yeah, I thank you for doing that, and I'm sure a lot of people who have gone through that have thanked you for that, and it's a very loving action, and love has been a running theme. Um, Love, compassion has been a running theme throughout your career, and um, it's beautiful uh, to see, and it's beautiful to be your friend, brother. Thank you. Um, You you and I are both mutual friends with Scott Budnick, uh, Hollywood producer from The Hangover and Just Mercy uh, more recently. Scott does incredible anti-recidivism work um, and a lot of prison reform advocacy. I was blessed to go perform in a jail in a prison with you because of Scott um and man that was such a uh beautiful experience for me tell me more about your own criminal justice reform work
2: yeah well you know it's like I read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and that really great book. like great book Cri- you can find it at Kira Books <laughs> Kira <laughs> Books go get it yeah. yeah if you go get that book man um it's funny when I went to do some, I went to do a a speaking engagement at Facebook and that was part of their reading requirement was the um, the new Jim Crow. And I wow. was really happy to hear that they were actually trying to teach some of their, you know, brass about the, the criminal justice system. Anyway, reading that book, I've been approached by Scott many times to, to actually come to his um, weekend events where he had, you know, where he was working with. Those who were incarcerated, but at the time, I, that wasn't like it didn't that wasn't my mission. I was, you know, I was like, man, I'm about fixing up these neighborhoods and making sure our communities are right. And then when I, I got to sit down with Michelle Alexander, she said, "You understand that the prison system is one of the causes of why your neighborhoods are are as bad as they are." And then she just broke man. it down like fathers getting removed from the homes. Um, People coming back and not being able to get jobs and get get housing and not being really actually healed and, and the prison system is not about healing. It's it's punishment. So yeah, you might come out and you might not be corrected, as as, they, mm-hmm. as the correctional system says. You might not be because they're not really looking at the individual and figuring out. It's a system and it's a business. So when I when I started realizing that, I was like, okay, I got to show up. So um, Scott, but I got in contact with Scott Budnick and we went and, and you know, we just sat down and talked to women and men who were incarcerated. And it gave me a better understanding. As Brian Stevenson says, great to be proximate. Um, so being proximate and as you know, Kwa, being in that mm-hmm. prison, you get a better understanding and a different like connection with people who've committed even violent crimes. You yeah. still see them as human beings. And um, I think, you know, that was an important thing for me. And that's what started my quest to actually like changing the system. I'm not. I'm not a person that says like if you commit a crime, you, you know, you you should do the time you need to do. But the time should be, like, you should be getting corrected. You should be getting healed, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. and like come out of this a better person. And I've witnessed people who like I sat down with people. Some of the smartest, the most enlightened people I met in prison, and. Ironically enough, some of them chase a lot of their anger and hurt and violence to their own sexual abuse mm. or physical abuse and trauma. And, um, yeah. you know, one person in particular, this dude named Bobby Gons, he just broke it down to me like how when he was eight, he was nine. When he was five, he was molested by this kid that was older. And then mm. he didn't know how to express it in his neighborhood. That, that shit ain't cool. What you going to say? People going to start calling you this and that. So he said it. The only thing he did was throw a punch, and then he he felt like that was his way of expressing things and like getting it all off of him. So then mm. it became into to to actually murder. He committed murder, and only until he went to prison did he come into the realization of what he what had caused him to become who he was mm. and how to reconcile that. And um, everybody don't get that chance yeah. like to reconcile it because all every prison is not given people like real tools to heal and real tools to be better. That being said, man, um, I'm here to like get, make sure that, that the criminal justice system is, is, is fair. Like I would love for it to be gone. Like, but it's, you know, while it's still here, I say, man, let's make sure human beings get opportunities and chances to be better. Let's not send people to jail that, that committed these crimes that, now you know people out making money on you. Still got somebody That's in jail right. for selling That's... weed. You know, yeah. So anyway, y'all know I'm 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 about that right there. And um, mm-hmm. I work with 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 um ARC Anti Recidivism Coalition, which is Scott's organization. I work with um, great group
0: of people. Great group. Of I work people.
2: with yeah. Imagine Justice. We've actually did some. We got some some like bills passed. I got to sit down with um. Some legislators in 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 California, and we got some bills passed one bill was was this bill SB 394, which really allowed no longer will, will um, underage like um, people who commit crimes they won't be able to be sentenced to life without parole Thank they God. will always be able to go be examined at the board so that mm-hmm. that's been some of the work that I've been most proud of and um yeah that's what we've been doing with the criminal justice system.
0: Word up. Um, you just now broke down something very interesting about how we are taught to hide our feelings. And and that as you, you spoke about toxic masculinity, essentially. Um, on my album Liberation, on the song Funny Money, I have a mm-hmm. lyric that goes, I ain't fucking with the pay for play, that shit is gay. Now, since then, I've evolved and I've outgrown this lyric and I've apologized for it. Um, But as a black man trying to make a name for myself in hip hop, sometimes I would lean into uh, targeting gay people in order to assert my manhood. Um, You and I were placed on a list some years ago where they talked about how conscious artists will sometimes have lyrics that can be seen as homophobic. Um, You have also got criticized for this. And it seems like you've grown from this and, and grown and moved on from this as a man. Talk to me a little bit about how you feel like you've evolved on this front. Um, what's the difference between Cornbread Com, who's out there, <laughs> you know, trying to assert his manhood, and Microsoft Com, who's out there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so,
2: so man, I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. the the mm-hmm. The mentality was was masculinity is a way of survival. It was what we learned from older guys, you know, and. Mm-hmm. We didn't, I, I'm going to be honest, and, and I never really had a, a man sit down and say, hey, this is how you step to be a man, you know? Or even, mm-hmm. like, I did have some, some pretty good examples as far as, like, a stepfather, but it was never, like, really someone saying, hey, these are the things you do. Um, so I learned from my homies and mm-hmm. older cats, and th- being hard was a way to get respect and being, like, you know, it was a way you get around and survive. So, mm-hmm. the, the use of those words, that mentality, was part of the, a part of our lives. It was part of our culture. It was, you know, it is what you would say when you was trying to like down somebody. You know, mm-hmm. you was you would call them like you would say, "Oh, this person is gay," or this, you know, you you know, you fag. Or you you would say those mm-hmm. things. Um, and that was a learned behavior that was passed in. For a lot of black men in the inner cities, we got it. No matter how, you don't have to be a gangster. That was just part of what you, our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, as I started to grow as an individual I started to say, okay, the certain things that I've experienced in life are things that I'm going to carry with me, traditions. Some mm-hmm. things are things that I truly, Rashid, don't feel is me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like, like I said, I, the same way I was seeking out what is my spirituality and how? what's my relationship to God? I'm not just mm-hmm. going to only take what my mother just because my mother had me going to church and this and I'm seeking, finding myself. I started seeking how I feel about different things. Well, mm-hmm. funny enough, I was at a show and these two gay guys came up to me after my show and said, Common, we love you. But man, it hurt us when you be saying this faggot, this and that. And it was really one of the first times like, I actually heard from somebody who was gay what they felt about me saying this. So it made me mm-hmm. step back and consider. It. I wasn't. I didn't try to get defensive. And I was like, "Wow, this is a human being telling me. These two human beings telling me they was hurt from that." Mm-hmm. I eventually ended up doing a song called "Between Me, You, and Liberation," which I was talking about. Like, if my friend, I'm, it was on Electric Circus, and it's talking about if my friend told me he was gay, what would how would I react? Yes, and. I did that because I was like, man, this is my growth right now. I'm not like homophobic. I don't have anything against gay people. So this is my growth. Um, one thing that I like don't I don't subscribe to is that whole, yo, you did this back then, so you persecuted forever. Like you said right. that word back then. So like I, right. that's not that that's not life. It's many things I've done that. I've grown and evolved from, but that's what life is about. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I am i did not have the understanding and wisdom that I had when I was 19 that mm-hmm. I have now, and I'm still going to mm-hmm. continue to grow until I leave this planet. I want to be growing. We all should. So yeah, I, I mean, I just chalk it up to me evolving and, and that's just the truth of the, of the path. The people who, who can look and say, man, you said this and that. Yes, I did. And I don't feel that way anymore. And and it's some things I'm saying probably two weeks ago that I may evolve from now, you know, and 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 feel something different. But my point is, that's what life is, and I really, you know, this whole the whole mentality of man, you did one thing wrong and it's and you're done. I don't understand that because you know, I just know that we all human beings and we all evolve.
1: Um, I think that when it comes to, to that, as long as you acknowledge. And you have learned from it, then I feel like you should be able to move on. It's the people that still are making excuses or don't acknowledge, like, "Oh, I hurt somebody," or "Oh, I shouldn't have said that." That deserve to be canceled forever. But that's, uh, that's a
2: great, that's a great point, though. That's a great point, like acknowledging it. And honestly, that's one of the lessons I learned just where, um, where, as a father, when my my daughter confronted me and Amoye, she was like. Man, she had a conversation with me like, man, I don't feel like you was a good dad in this area, that area. And I was like, first I was getting a little defensive and being like, and then I just had to step back and say, you know what? Let me listen to her. Let mm-hmm. me acknowledge these are her feelings. I don't have to agree with everything she's saying, but even if without agreeing or trying to fix it, just let me hear her out. And I yeah. think, you know, it's important what you just said, Jazz, is the acknowledgement of these things. And just recognizing that in somebody and just saying, I actually hear you and I respect you and honor you as a human being. And sometimes that will come with disagreement, too. Mm-hmm. But it's still, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to do what you said.
1: You founded the Common Ground Foundation uh, fairly early in your career. And um, your work in organiz- what is your work organization doing right now? I know that through COVID you've been helping bring awareness to incarcerated people. But what else are you guys working on?
2: yeah so common ground is actually we do it's a youth oriented group um we Mm -hmm. what I work is with the youth and we mentor youth and we help get them prepared for college or whatever their profession is or you know what their desire to go into a profession is it's really about just self-development we help them you know we have mentors that get you know teach them about nutrition they do social activist work they've gone themselves and went out and, and helped with um, inner city farming. They've helped um, with some Dope. of the people who've been incarcerated. So we actually a- allowing them to feed back into their communities as they're growing too as young people. Um, and right now, during this whole time of the pandemic, they've been really strong, like having Zoom meetings and really like sharing a lot of information, getting prepared for, for black colleges and and different things like that and just learning about those things but and one of the things that I've been like able to participate in and I love is sometimes we have our summer camps where they go away they just get away from Chicago go on these trips and we you know they do everything from yoga to just like talks with with uh, um like it's like the men the men mentors sit down with the young men and they just we just have real open talks it's like a therapy session the women do do it with the young ladies they do our uh, like trust walks, all these different things that, that we do during these camps. And it's so beautiful to watch the kids go from, like, they get out into these areas where it's like, you know, it's the woods. It's like camp.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and they like, oh, what the hell, to watching them participate in yoga, watching them participate in, mm. the, in the creative arts sessions that we have, and, and watching them, like, put their cell phones away and really open up in these sessions. So the Common Ground Foundation has been one of the things I've been most proud of um, because it's really feeding back to where I come from, and mm-hmm. and I, all I really want, from what I said earlier, too, Quas, like to create access. My thing is to create access for our kids, and, and just another yeah. thing that we, we've actually did to to add on to that is uh, I opened up a school, um, and it's a charter school. I know you, so you're right. The public schools need. <laughs> The kids too, but we opened up a charter <laughs> school called Aim. It's called Aim Art and Motion, and mm-hmm. what is geared towards is academic, but it's also art based. So my vision is to be able to get our kids to, to to be able to see what it is to be a lighting director, to be able to see what it is to be a costume designer, and have mm-hmm. like people from the from those businesses come and talk to them, uh, and so they can say, oh, it's not only about being the actor. Wait, oh, you could be a a sound engineer or you could be, you know, just expose them to things that we never knew existed growing up. Like, I I know I didn't shoot. I mean, Mm -hmm. Kwai, you was in the movies early, so you knew about movie making, but.
0: I come from a family of actors. And so, yeah, I I knew. But again, I was privileged with that. Like um,
2: No, I mean, and and that's basically what, um, you know, like for me with Common Ground and AIM, they're two of the, like the beautiful thing about AIM is like that school is less than two miles from where I grew up. Oh, wow. And for me to be able to walk up into that building and see, like, kids, like, I think your name may be painted on the wall, too. Like, in our music room, Wow, it's it's all these artists, from Gangstar mm-hmm. to Talib Kweli That's to true. Lena Horne painted on the walls. And I know that they are learning about you, and I know that they are learning about Coltrane, and I know that they're learning about Nina Simone, you know, and... Man, it's just important for me to be able to share that with them and create an environment where they can get that. So that's been the key with Common Ground and, and AIM.
0: That's beautiful, brother. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for your time. Once again, we have a couple more questions um, yeah. but that I have to ask you, but I just want to take the time before we ask these questions to just thank you yeah. for giving us so much of your time. We're yeah. so gracious uh, for it. Um, I asked you to join me in Ferguson uh, to do a concert for the people in Ferguson. We did a free concert. You've always been there for the people from Common Ground to, to Asada Shakur. I saw you in Kentucky marching for Breonna Taylor uh, with the people. You had your mask on and all that. Recently, yeah. when we was hanging out, uh, you talked to me about working with political candidates to hold them, try to hold them accountable, and you were trying to go do work in that space. Can you expound on what you were talking about?
2: Yeah, so it's something we we have organized called urgency 2020. This is one of the most important elections of our lifetime. And one reason is not only is it the presidential election and we obviously want to remove any hatred and, and and negativity from, from that chair, from that position. But it's also a time where, you know, um, that the Senate can be won by a group of people who may be open to, to working more with, with all people, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, like this whole and I'm not a let me, let me be clear, I'm not a politician where I'm like, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. I'm mm-hmm. I'm like for whoever's going to do good by the people as far as my knowledge and, and interaction with them goes. So this this election, some of the things that we want to see change, like we're looking at policing, we're looking at education, we're looking at like creating more economics for for black and brown people in poor neighborhoods, um, these are I see candidates out there, and I'm learning more and getting acquainted with more candidates that represent that change, per se. Um, like how state what Stacey Abrams was to to Georgia, it's it's um like it, it was a, it's a person like Jamie Jamie Harrison um in in um in South Carolina that is that is running for Senate that actually cares about the people. And what what we're doing is like we're going we're taking time to sit down with these uh, elected officials or soon hopefully they will be elected officials and say, "Hey, these are the things that we want to see happen for these communities." And we're not doing that without the community people being there. And we'll be sitting down and talking to with you know from the people the community people along with these people that are running for office, and say, okay, these are our demands. Okay, you got that? Cool. We are here to support. We'll use our voice to get more attention and more people to, to know about you. So they go out and vote. They're not only saying, oh, I got to vote for the president. I got to. You also got to know voting for your senator, voting for your district attorney. And these are positions that I didn't know affected us as much as they do. So now that mm-hmm. I'm learning that, I just want to continue to educate our people on that so they can go out. So and, and support people who can actually change policy form and who cares about changing policy form. So that's what Urgency Twenty Twenty is. I'm working with Alicia Keys and a, and a few other people. Um, we also have teamed up with Le- LeBron. Has something called More Than a Vote. We um not really partner, but we're going to be supporting what they're doing um, because they're really encouraging people to vote without they're doing it without not without being like yo vote for this person, but mm-hmm. we're like yo. Go out and vote, but this is the person to vote for. And if and, and if you need to sit down and talk, like I feel like, if I'm gonna put my word in my mouth out there for my word for somebody, then it's gonna be somebody that's, that's truthful, somebody that cares about human beings, and, and can be a great leader in that area. So that's what that's that's about.
0: Word up.
1: Um, there was this Viola Davis clip that just went viral this week. Oh, that was dope. And, and uh, she said. I got the Oscar, I got the Emmy, I got two Tonys. I've done Broadway, I've done off-Broadway, I've done TV, and I've done film. I've done all of it. People say you're Black Meryl Streep. You are, and we love you. We love you. There's no one like you. Okay, then if there's no one like me, if you think I'm that, you pay me what I'm worth. You give me what I'm worth. You rapped about Viola Davis in Black America again, which also features Stevie Wonder. You mentioned Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland. Um so my question is what is your higher purpose now and what do you think that you owe the next generation
2: Man I I feel like my higher purpose is to be a a, a vessel of for for the most high God like in any shape form and fashion and that and it usually begins with me with dealing with where our people um and making creating awareness and um inspiring and Creating environments of of happiness and and love and like freedom for our people. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I really it starts with me for with black people because I that's my, where I grew up and that's who I know and love. And I know that we also don't get a lot of the same opportunities and exposure. But it also is about black and brown people, and it also is about humanity um, mm-hmm. it, itself. So I'm not just only. Looking and saying, man, I want to change it only for black people. I want to change it for a better society overall. But it starts, you know, with me doing a lot of that work for our people because we the ones in this in this situation that is, have taken the shorthand of a lot of things, um, taking less than in, in a lot of areas. We just haven't had as much access. So my thing, mm-hmm. purpose now is to continue to create the access to to set examples, but also be active and. And 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 have action items, a la policy change, a la opening up schools, a la like you know teaming up with community community activists and people who already are doing work and changing those situations. As far as Hollywood goes, it's creating um, avenues for for voices to get out there that are new, that are young, that are fresh, um, and like letting letting them see. What new, fresh art is coming from these black and brown creators? Um, mm-hmm. The world needs it, man. And, and it's one of the most powerful ways to help change things also is through art. Um, I mean, for mm-hmm. me, like, mm-hmm. I think the movie Moonlight was like a movie that without saying it was like, hey, black people experience and feel different things. This is a young black kid growing up in Miami mm-hmm. in the hood. His mother was on was on drugs he ended up being a gay young man but he's a human being mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. and, and i think that that, that um, a story like that makes you uh, look at black males in different ways and i think mm-hmm. what i want to do is make sure we create like i said where it's a eternal sunshine a spotless mind but yeah. in our own way or a shawshank redemption or you know or a godfather for that matter um mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think, you know, um, Viola Davis is such a a gifted and powerful um, woman and person and talent and human being that what she said was so um, necessary and it's so eye-opening to, because she is, everywhere you go, you hear how respected she is, but to know that she's not getting – those opportunities uh, as far as equality when it comes to pay. Um, and that's just for women in general, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But black women are taking even the shorter end of it. Amen. So if she mm-hmm. spoke to it, it's like, um, I got to do something about it. Like, I can't sit there. Mm-hmm. That's why we, while we was there, I was there for Breonna Taylor and we was there, was like, as, as a man, I got to be there. I can't like only show up for, the situations that happen with men, mm-hmm. I got to show up when it's happening and bring and bring um, attention and the, and the same amount of support, if not more, to the situations that's happening with our women too. Yes. So I think you know, for me, for the new generation, I'm like, I try to share as much information as I got and create like opportunities for them. One of the biggest joys for me has been to do the shy, to be executive producer on the shy. Like I never. Man, I walked on that set and was like, man, I'm in my hometown and yeah. we filming a TV show. And I got people from Chicago that's working that's working on the crew, doing locations, mm-hmm. doing the makeup. The woman who, who was doing hair used to do my mother's hair. Wow. Like, right. And she's here working on, on a film that I'm, I'm uh, on a TV show that I'm producing. Right. That's rewarding to keep be able it to authentic. go back. Yeah. To be able to go back home and do that. So that's what I want to do, cre- like, create those opportunities.
0: Yes. Yeah, man. Well, you're an artist. You're a pure artist. You're a true artist. Artists have to create. Writers have to write. We have to yeah. make things. And in the lockdown, it's harder to create things because we can't get together as much. But uh, I saw you and Tiffany Haddish <laughs> and a whole bunch of other actors recreating <laughs> and hamming, hamming it up in the Princess Bride remake. <laughs> Tell me about how that project came together. Because I, I I know the Princess Bride by heart. Nobody asked me to be in a movie. I could have did every part. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> have fun storm in the castle. I know all the lines. So
2: Yo, I love it. Hey, quiet. I ain't going in front. I was, yo, I was late to it on Princess Bride, but that joint was dope, man. Like that was a
0: That's one of my favorite a, movies of all time.
2: Man, it's a fun, good movie, man. It's a it's a great movie. And um, you know, Jason Reitman. He's the director who um, did Juno. He did um, Up in the Air. He's actually the son of the director of Ghostman, um, Ghostbusters, the first early Ghostbusters. Um how uh, right... Did
0: how Ramus direct it?
2: No, it's something Reitman. Uh, I forgot his first. Oh, name, I- Ivan Reitman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his. That's his. That's his dad. Um, so okay. Anyway, J- Jason called me uh, right early on doing the. Um, text me early on during the, the pandemic when we, you know, during the lockdown and was like, yo, uh, I'm doing Princess Bride, man. We just doing it on our, you know, like a, a project, but it's going to charity. A million dollars will be going to this charity. And I was like, okay, I'm down, man. You know? And he was like, well, will you and Tiffany do this thing? I said, well, I got to ask Tiffany, you know, if that's <laughs> something she would want to do. And, right. I, you know she was down she was like yeah she's like how much are we getting paid i was like we ain't getting paid and then she was like okay <laughs> <laughs> she's like All right. i said it's for charity it's for charity but you know so we ended up doing it um and it was fun man we you know we we had uh this this young cat uh who does a lot of videography videography work just film us and it was, we actually filmed it right in my house um and it was, man, it was dope. Like, and to see, like, Hugh Jackman is in it, John Hamm, yeah. uh, Josh Gad. It's like all these people are in right. it playing, you know, these same characters. Uh, we all play the same, you know, like, it's... The uh, dread later on Roberts in the fem- and Wesley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, man, it was a fun project, man. I'm glad, you know, we got to put it out there.
0: No doubt. Well, shout out to John Hamm, who just, I see him walking around over here. Um, yeah. Rosh, I really appreciate you doing this with us um, you know let's go get something to eat brother I appreciate you (laughs) let's get some food let's get some
2: food Jazz jazz. party. you can finish eating finish eating your fries why you gotta celebrate
1: eating hot (laughs) (laughs) fries
2: but hey you still a rattler it's all love
0: it's all love Rosh I love you brother thank you for doing the people's party it's proud to have Common word is bond